Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 81 on a new, on a discussion topic that, frankly, I'm amazed that we have not done this on the podcast sooner. I was so convinced that we had done this at some point, and sure enough, we have not. The closest thing we did have done to it is we did a Halloween version of this same topic, but in terms of actual discussion, we haven't talked about this officially on the channel. Um, so we'll be discussing our favorite underrated movies or movies that we feel like don't get enough attention. Um, some of these we just say casually in passing a lot on the show, but weird to me that we haven't done underrated movies. I double and triple checked every episode we've done and we have not done this yet. So I'm excited. Yep. Uh, Josh, how you doing this week? I'm hanging out, man. Uh, it's It's been a chill week. I'm waiting for my drug tests and stuff like that to go through so I can start working at a new job. Okay, um, I was going to say, for work, right? Yes, 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 yes. Nah, it's for the courts, you know. Just, Apparently hey, it's illegal. this quarantine has me so bored, I'm going to volunteer for drug tests. <laughs> It was funny. Uh, my dad was like, you better not fail. I was like, dad, I've been here for two months. If I fail, honestly, I'd be more impressed than anything else. It's your else. parents' fault then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you shouldn't have had that poppy seed bagel before the proceedings, but. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, you watching anything good lately? I actually uh, watched uh, the new Aladdin. Finally. And? It's it's good. I right? enjoy it. Um, I don't mind uh, Will Smith's genie as much as I thought I was going to hate him. No, I actually goes back to old Prince days. Yeah, like I I liked it, and I liked that he he didn't. It was obvious he did. He made an effort to not be Robin Williams. There's but there were some good like, references to Robin. Yes, there was the animations and the kind of the personality in general was spot on, but the, uh, the delivery was very much different. Um, I thought I was going in, going worried about how they were going to do the Cobra because I hadn't heard anything. And they ended up not doing the Cobra and doing a giant monster parrot instead. And I think I like it more. Uh, see, I'm on the other side. This is coming from someone whose greatest fear in life, I'll put it on the record, whose greatest fear in life is snakes. I am deathly afraid of snakes. I wanted the giant cobra, and I was pissed Fair that enough. I didn't get it, actually. Fair enough. I mean, but granted, that is a small uh, pebble and a big pond that of stuff that I really enjoyed. I really liked the, the little tidbit of genie and human after he's released. Um, See, I, that didn't I was, do it for me just because I thought it was kind of weird the whole time he's trying to hook up with someone that's clearly like half his age. <laughs> I mean, but like I, I always had that thought out um, after the original of what? So like he's still ma- – he's a ma- magical Virginia now, right? Like so so couldn't he just take over the – you know, like I always had those questions of like – why free a genie when he's like the most powerful being on earth? So I, I like that they just made him human. I, I don't. I, I appreciated the little thing on that. Uh, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of what they did to genie at the end, but I think we can both agree that as great as Will Smith as the genie was, the real MVP of that movie was Naomi Scott as Jasmine. Dude, her new her song. Um, I think it's a fine song. It kind of comes out of nowhere, though. It does. Um, it's only original because uh, my brother Philip is a huge Broadway fan. So I had the benefit 
of having somebody watching it with somebody being like, okay, that's a detail from the Broadway show. That's a detail from the Broadway show. That's an original song. That's a Broadway song, you know, like had having that. So it does come out of nowhere. And most, most of the time, but when she, when she sings the second part of it later on in the, in the film, I just chills and like, she's acting through it too. She's not just singing, which is something some musicals do is they don't, act they just kind of sing during the songs yeah i thought um the kid that played aladdin i think mina masood is his name when they're singing a whole new world and he's like singing it i thought oh this is fine and then naomi scott comes in i was like oh that's singing yes like it was such a big contrast of oh okay yeah, and I think part of that is the body and facial line. Will it still felt like Will Smith, but it's so heavily auditioned, it's hard to tell if it's him. Yeah, and people seem to forget the younger demographic seem to forget Will Smith does you know have a singing background because Dude. before he was an actor, he was a rapper. Um, so that actually has started a whole conversation. Um, Philip and, and, and Luke, my two youngest brothers were both like, man, I know Will Smith could sing. And I was like, yeah, that's real. That's a total surprise to me. That's Whatever. where the name Fresh Prince came from. Yes. So then we're playing dominoes later that night as a family. And my mom's like, it's too quiet. I need some music. And I was like, all right. So I put on Get Jiggy With It by Will Smith. And like Philip and Luke are like bobbing and stuff. I'm like, I like this. Who is this? And I was like, this is Will Smith. What? Yeah. How did they not know? Get jiggy with it. Dude. Or summertime. It's, dude, that's like from my, like when I was a kid and, you know, conservative household, like it was a lot for me to listen to just like rock and roll. So it's that age old family guy joke. You're cooler with the young kids than Will Smith and his clean rap. <laughs> But it's a lot of fun. Leave me alone. Okay. I liked Aladdin. If you told me at the beginning of 2019 that I would like Aladdin leaps and bounds better than I liked The Lion King, I would not have believed you. Yes, I agree. Um, And what's funny, too, is uh, I started getting excited. We were talking about musical scores and stuff like that. And I, I had mentioned I loved what they did with Mulan's Reflections. Uh, in the, for the new film and they were like there's a new Mulan coming out and I was like yes have y'all been living under a rock uh, are you sure you're not adopted it, it's possible um, <laughs> but uh, no so like I showed my, my family like all the Mulan stuff and they're like wait it says it was coming out in March did it already come out and like no they pushed it um, back so they guys where have you no, been pushed it back. lately huh it's just like um family where has where have you been the past few months at home so has the theaters yeah. but um yes that's that's what was the 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 the, the joke uh-huh. in march i don't know mom mom what happened in march <laughs> what is the only thing that's happened in march <laughs> yes so it, it's been interesting to say the least but it it was one of those i i played the i found a youtube video of just the full track of reflections from the trailer and it's it's so 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 good at some uh, point we'll you? see this movie yes at some point how about you have you been watching anything um I saw a couple of things. I watched one a movie on Shutter called uh, Better Watch Out, 
because the trailers seemed interesting. I liked it for the most part. It's this twist on the home invader invasion type storyline of a girl is babysitting two kids, but about half an hour in, there's a twist that takes place, and it's... I'm going to spoil it now. It's revealed that the kid was just scaring his babysitter so she would fall in love with him. But the thing is, he's super psychotic and crazy, so when people come to save them, he kills them. Um, I liked it up until the ending because... It's, to use your wrestling vernacular, the villain never gets their proper comeuppets. Like, you needed Vince to get stunnered by Stone Cold at the end of the day because yeah. he's so awful. This kid, it's implied that the main hero lives to fight another day, but nothing bad happens to the villain, which really pissed me off. Um, it's like how Megan on Drake and Josh always got off scot-free. Yeah, it's... Uh, and this I, kid I was that. like, credit to the actor. I wanted to punch this kid in the face. It is one of the most irritating people. Yeah. And, like, I, I've watched movies that the villain gets away with it at the end. And it done right, it, it's, it, it's done really well. And it's really enjoyable. But on the flip side of that, the only reason it's enjoyable and it makes you frustrated and it adds to the movie is because the villain wins and the hero has to lose completely. You can't have both. And so, like, if a villain doesn't get his canumpets, like you said, like, it just kind of makes the hero stuff feel boring. Yeah, it just kind of... I don't know. It felt, oh, well, this is the end of the movie. Well, that feels unresolved. Like, yeah, it's a smart, methodical villain and nothing happens to them at all. Like, he doesn't even get punched in the face. <laughs> that's, uh, that's. I will say, though, I didn't see, on the flip side of that, I didn't see all bad movies. Believe it or not, I had not seen Eddie Murphy's Coming to America yet. Really? Okay, I mean, I guess I've only seen clips as well. So, so I finally saw it, and oh my gosh, I forget how funny Eddie Murphy used to be. Yes. Like, well, it also helped, it's by John Landis, who's done a whole bunch of comedies back in the day. Uh, oh, it's so good. It is so yeah. funny. Yeah, dude. I mean, I, I haven't gotten to watch as much as I'd like this week. Um, I really don't know why, honestly, but um, I've got some stuff lined up. I'm, I'm going to attempt to watch uh, the uh, Doctor Sleep tonight, but we'll see. I haven't seen the director's cut to know if you should see that one instead, but it's it's good either way. Yeah, um, I did. I did Google just to see. Um, and the director's cut adds more to it. So, I mean, also, this is just a weird, like, minor thing, but I really, really appreciate the fact that. Um, so the Dr. Sleep version that I have is the 4K version, obviously. Um, it's full screen, it's not black bars aspect ratio. Okay, well, that adds it to me. I mean, I'm, I don't think I've ever really reminded either way but i mean no i've not reminded either but it's nice to have a full screen picture yeah oh yeah, yeah yeah i would agree um so yeah i think that's about it for that and also um before we get into our main news we have some late breaking news that 
I find super interesting. Um, I think the people attached to it will be interesting to Josh, but I don't know if the property is something that he's interested in. Um, yes. So, Hellraiser, of all things. Um, yeah. Have you seen this? I think I just saw an article about it, but I was getting ready for to hop on with you, so I didn't read it. Um, so, there's a new Hellraiser movie in development from some big-name people. Uh, but in addition to that Hellraiser movie, we're now getting a Hellraiser series on HBO, which wouldn't necessarily get me excited. However, it will be written by Michael Doherty, who directed Trick or Treat and Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Eh. But Trick or Treat and Krampus are both great. Um, yeah. And it's going to be directed by 2018's Halloween, David Gordon Green. Okay. Okay. Right. I, mean, I, don't, I don't I don't care at all for the Hellraiser um series, but you know, sure, all right. But that pairing of I love both um Michael Doherty and David Gordon Green after both turning in some very good horror movies. Um on paper, this is really fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I have you seen the original Hellraiser movies? I have. I've seen the the first one. Yes. So that's the one that everyone raves about, right? I think somebody said that I can see the second or third one is the best of the series, but this is the one everybody's like, you got to see Hellraiser. Well, it didn't do anything for me. It, it felt like. I didn't understand what we were doing here. You know, like it wasn't there wasn't a story being told at all. I, I just I don't know. I I've never gotten behind Hellraiser. Yeah, and maybe now we will. Um, I, I'm in the same boat as you. I didn't. I don't get the appeal of Hellraiser. Um, if anything, though, I felt bad for the franchise of Hellraiser for quite a while because. Like, horror is known for having really bad sequels, but no one I think of more synonymously with that than Hellraiser because, like, the first one was a moderate success, and almost all of them, I think, after that point were, like, direct-to-DVD trash. Like, at least the Halloween sequels and the Friday the 13th sequels got theatrical releases. Hellraiser, no, unfortunately. Which is, yeah, that never really helps a franchise either. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, dude. It, it just to me that says that they didn't have enough faith in it, or they just didn't. The comp the company didn't care. Or they um, so, uh, Hellraiser. It was in the situation with, like Fantastic Four of we have to make this, or else the rights go back to somebody else. Yeah, that's what I felt like as well. Um, but, you know, I mean, maybe it's time in today's day and age. It might do better, especially with the visual effects that we're able to do now. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I'm not super interested in the property, but the people attached to it make me really yeah. make me really excited. Yeah. And, and to me, that that says potential more than anything else. Oh, for sure. Are uh, you ready to get into our news proper? Let's go, my man. Um, if this was five years ago, I would be really excited for our first news topic, but 
given that it's nowadays, I'm not really that excited. So um, apparently Disney Plus is developing a female-led um, Star Wars TV show for Disney Plus. I'm not rolling my eyes at this because it's female-led by any stretch. I'm rolling my eyes because it feels like the millionth project that's been announced by Lucasfilm and Disney. But until we actually see it go into production, I don't believe you. Because there's been yeah. so many issues in the past of, I don't care what you announce. You could announce um, a Darth Vader movie for Disney Plus that I'll start shooting next week. Even that I don't think will get me excited just because there's been so much turmoil and up in the air backstage issues that I don't believe it's the boy that cried wolf. I don't believe anything you say anymore. Yeah, it's I'm the same way. And I, I think the thing that turned me off more is in today's day and age, why do you feel like it's important to specify female led? I mean, especially when your most recent and you know, controversy aside and story points aside, your more most recent uh films, three film saga is centered around a female lead. So I I didn't, I, I don't understand the point in making that specification. Because they, they know that'll grab the headlines. I don't care if it's female led, so long as the characters are written well. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the faith in the current crew that that'll happen. I like the sequel trilogy, you know that. However, I think you and I are on the same page that Ray was not necessarily the most interesting character in that trilogy and i don't think it's a gender reason i think it's they booked her like john cena to never lose and that makes a character uninteresting yeah she never really goes through anything except oh man i don't know who my parents are so yeah whereas luke lost a hand and was told hey the biggest villain in the world is actually your father who is not actually dead and you thought died mm -hmm. an honorable man which honestly and I will stand on this hill. I think Ray was supposed to go through something like that. Yep. I think she Ray was too in the middle one, but Last mm -hmm. Jedi really threw a wrench into things. It did. And I, I, I dude, I blame Rain, man. I blame Rain. I really Ooh. do. Oh, I mean, okay, here's the thing. I have Ryan Johnson. I have I read the name all the time, and I know it's pronounced Ryan. But every time I read it, because of how it's spelled, my my brain says Rain. Are you dyslexic? There's that possibility. My dad is so. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But Story of my life. It's why I have trouble reading too. So that's fine. Uh, it's it's this long slew of I don't care anymore because it just everything it's a matter of when not if anymore for stars of when will something go wrong not if when so yes kathleen kennedy announces this female-led star wars show great so uh how long before you replace the director and showrunner or mm -hmm. recast the show or cancel, cancel it outright or yeah. Just leave it as leave it alone. Hope people forget about yeah. it. Which and I can I see I can see people 
I can see the wheels turning in people's heads. It's a female-led Star Wars show. Hmm, who's the unless you're going to create an original character? What show would you build a, around a fem, female character? Mm, well, we got something cool and edgy like uh, that's like a western in the Mandalorian. Um, why not a swashbuck, swashbuckling adventure with Ahsoka? They so said like, it will uh, be like a martial arts show, and I'm going. If you say so, that doesn't. <sighs> All right, whatever. Yeah, it's it's just more annoying. Of okay. Lucasfilm, stop announcing stuff. Get your crap together. Then you can announce stuff. At least like DC, when Walter Hamada took over a few years ago, like all the sudden announcements of new projects stopped until they were actually actively being developed or in production already. We don't hear any more about the Nightwing movie, RIP, or the Cyborg movie or the Green Lantern movie because they know, realistically, they're not going to happen and they're not going to pull the legs out from underneath those projects super late into the game. That's the frustrating thing about this. Anything with Lucasfilm lately is, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things on paper. I think a female-led Star Wars show could be really cool. But I've been tricked with this so many times before of, well, something's eventually going to go wrong with this because that's just the state of Lucasfilm these days. It could be absolutely perfect. And Kathleen Kennedy would be like, Eh, it's not up to my specifications. I guess we're going to have to fire you with two weeks left to go. Yeah, which is, that's the thing is it's, it's not, when you say it like, like that, like, oh, it's not up to my specifications. It's not, it's not that she has a higher standard. It's not like she's like, "Mm, I think this could be so much better. It's my opinions better than everyone else's. And if you don't match with it, Get out. It's also, I get that if you're the studio head, you have certain expectations. You need to make those clearly apparent when you bring someone on. Okay, we're hiring you for this specific project. And then when the director says, okay, this is the project I want to make, you have to establish that up front, not down the road going, well, this wasn't the movie that you hired, that we hired you for. Well, then clearly somewhere along the lines, we've had some miscommunication. This happened basically every single project. And it's annoying more than anything else. Yeah, it's, I don't care anymore. Like you, like, it's a big thing, like what they do with games. They don't announce games until literally they're almost done. Yeah, whatever that new Arkham game is that we all know is coming, but for some reason don't get announced. Yeah. It's... It's annoying. And the funny thing is, they've proven that things run better without Kathleen Kennedy. Guess, without, with, I won't say it outright, but I will give you three guesses to the one Disney property, the one Star Wars property that she had the least involvement with. Mandalorian. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. And look how great that turned out, everyone. Seriously. Well, next year when her comes up, Bob Chapek, because Iger won't be in charge anymore. Chapek, I know you're a money guy, but look past that. We got to get rid of Kennedy. It's just an embarrassment at this point. Like, if you're making me, of all people, disinterested with Star Wars news, you done goofed somewhere along the lines. 
I, I would agree with that. It's too many unfulfilled promises. Yep. Well, let's move on to some sad news, I guess, but I don't think it's that bad. Um, Sony has again shifted their release dates, but I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. If anything, I think it's actually really, really smart. So uh, they have pushed the release date from the upcoming Venom, apparently now called Let There Be Carnage. It's been delayed from June of this year. It's been delayed till June 25th of next year, which is a massive delay. Um, And the next Spider-Man movie has also been delayed from July of next year to November of next year. And then there's another movie, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, Josh, first, let me ask you, what do you think of the title, Venom, Let There Be Carnage? Um, <laughs> honestly, it feels really, really like old school, campy comic book. And I, there's, a, there's a part of me that really likes it. <laughs> All right, that's good. I, you know what I mean? Like it, it could be, there are definitely worse games. I honestly, I think it'd be worse if it was Venom Carnage or Venom 2. Like I, at least they're trying to do something different with the name. Yeah, I get it. Um, I'll be honest. So I think this is a terrible name. Oh yeah. It's, it's absolute garbage. <laughs> like off the top of my head, Venom, absolute carnage, total carnage. Um, yeah, Venom Chaos Incarnage. I don't know. Yeah, oh, that's 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 tough. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, let there be carnage, like you said, it sounds like a comic book, which on paper sounds good, but there's some things, as we know, that are in comic books that don't necessarily translate the best when you say them out loud or put them in a live action format. Um, that being said. I'm still really excited for this, but I'm really disappointed that we have to wait so long. It explains why we haven't seen any promotional material at all, because I think they're thinking in the back of their minds, maybe we do have to move this back. Um, but the fact that it's coming out um, next year now, and they've moved the release date of Spider-Man back, makes me all but confirmed at this point in my thinking that they are going to be somehow connected. I would confirm I, I I would agree with that. They're like intentionally keeping Spider-Man a few months after Venom. So no matter what they're scooting Venom down, they're keeping Spider-Man after this. So I think that means there's something that happens to Venom, let there be carnage, that you have to just know or see about before seeing, we'll just call it Spider-Man home run. Um, because... Maybe they're connected somehow, which could lead to my Venom, Carnage, Spider-Man triple threat match that I've always wanted. Um, Which the moving of Spider-Man actually moved down the um, release date of Doctor Strange into the Multiverse of Madness, which sucks. It makes that now come out March 2022, but eh, a sacrifice I'm willing to make, I guess, Uh, like the Lord Farquaad from Shrek. Some of you will die, but it's a (laughs) sacrifice I'm willing to make. Well, and I've I've seen some reactions by people like, why are you moving it back a whole year? Or just in general, like even some of the other stuff that we've been talking about that they've been moving back a couple, like a year to two years. It's like, guys, like, guys like, movies I don't think take you a while realize. to film. They hadn't even started rolling cameras on Spider Man. Well, not just that, but movies like Venom, like 
I don't think y'all realize what the economy is going to look like. You're not going to see this in June. This is yeah. Like, we're def- it wasn't going to come out. Probably not even until August. Movies that are coming out in July, we don't know if theaters will even be open then. It's amazing Purge and Tenant still have their release dates at all. Uh, and also, it's very interesting Interesting to note that Morbius also got delayed, but Venom is still coming out after Morbius. So I think that Sony has a particular order that they want you to see these movies in. Which is honestly, that's to me, that's kind of refer- like interesting. Yeah, it's unlike Sony that they're actually getting their ducks in a row of like properly mapping things out. They're like, okay, we need to move Venom just so we can properly hype this up later. Um, Yes. But yeah, it makes me think Morbius is going to be connected somehow to the Venom movie and that's going to be connected to the Spider-Man movie somehow. Um, Again, we don't have that much details on the rest of those. However, if you're tired of coronavirus delays and sad production delays or postponements, there is a glimmer of hope and it comes from an unlikely source, the Uncharted movie of all things. So, believe it or not, this is, there is a glimmer of hope now with the Spider-Man movie getting delayed that they'll film the Uncharted movie first before Spider-Man, which seems to be confirmed by not only has Uncharted gotten the green light to resume filming once this is all done, it actually gets release date bumped up three months. It is now taking the slot that Spider-Man 3 had before. It'll now be coming out July 2021. So it moves up to a middle of summer date, which actually is the most reassuring thing I've seen from Sony so far about this Uncharted movie because they were about to film so naturally, they still have a lot of stuff that they're ready to go with. More, it's, it's further along in the development process than the Spider-Man movie. So they're like, okay, get back to that. But clearly, they see something in this Uncharted movie, I think, that they're willing to be like, okay, let's slap this right in the middle of summer. Um, we think it's worthy enough to be the one that we're going to shift our focus on before... We go to Spider-Man. Spider-Man's not ready yet, but um, we think Uncharted can be. So let's shift our focus to that. And the fact that they're not just throwing it by the wayside and forgetting about it, I think is really encouraging. And the fact that this is the first time of any of the movies that have been delayed that we actually have this good news of, well, we had to delay it, but guess what? We think there's light in the tunnel and we're going to move up production schedule on this. Yeah, I mean it's 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 reassuring. It proves to the, to us that this is this is actually happening. <laughs> Which well, both of us have kind of been sitting here like, okay, it's been delayed a lot. Uh, <laughs> is this actually going to happen? Um, and while uh, we but, still may have some issues with the cast, um, yes. I think it's really reassuring that they have this much faith in the project, and they're like, okay. Let's move this thing up. It gives me more confidence that this thing is actually happening. It's not going to be forgotten about. Um, and that could succeed. I I don't know. But who knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, anything could happen at this point, honestly. I think this... 
I'll go on record. I think this will be the final release date for Uncharted. I don't think it's moving. I think this will be the day that it actually comes out once and for all. Yep. And it'll be okay. No one will remember it in five years. (sighs) That's mm, unfortunate. It'll be the Sahara of video game movies. Oh, bro. Don't, don't you knock the Sahara. That's that what I'm saying. Is Sahara is good, but no one talks about Sahara anymore. Fair enough. Even though it is great. But we won't be talking about it later. At least I won't be. I didn't include it this week. I didn't either. I, like, I love it, but I, I think anybody who has been watching movies for a while knows about Sahara. Yep. And that National Treasure is the better version. Oh, yeah, but... Which I never thought I would sit here and say that I preferred Nicolas Cage as the lead over uh, Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. Oh, no, I'd, I would always watch a Cage movie over a McConaughey movie. Yeah, that's fair. But, so, can we can we talk about this Universal Lego deal? Because I don't know how big of a deal you think it is, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. <laughs> I think it's very... Interesting. So what Josh is referring to is the fact that Universal and Lego have agreed to a five-year contract, which I think is super odd that it's a five-year, not a five-movie deal, a five-year contract to oversee their movies. So basically, um, Lego was working with Warner Brothers, but um, as great as most of those movies were, except for Lego Movie 2, um, they unfortunately had diminishing returns. Like the first Lego movie, I think made over half a billion dollars or close to it. Uh, Lego, then each movie made progressively less than one before. Uh, Lego Batman made close to like 400. Lego Ninjago, which admittedly is very niche, made like 130 million. Uh, and then Lego movie part two made like 200 million. So they progressively went down and down. So I think Warner Brothers was more than willing to cut their losses um, I think this is interesting because I want more Lego movies, honestly, because I liked almost all of them except for Lego Movie 2, and I still debate which one's better, Lego Movie or Lego Batman. I love them both a lot, and I think there's more stories to tell there, and Universal is desperate for franchises right now. Um, Where I think it could get interesting is something I hadn't considered originally is... With Warner Brothers, they let Lego more or less tag team to meld things like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich of Warner Brothers properties and Lego to do like the Lego Batman movie. So Mm -hmm. what if we merge some Universal franchises with Lego? Like Lego Back to the Future meets Lego Ghostbusters. Yeah. It's – so here's the thing. In in my Lego Jaws. (laughs) In my knowledge, uh, very, very limited knowledge, by the way, of production of movies, doesn't it take at least three to four years for especially an animated movie like the Lego movie to be made? Yeah, that's why Lego Movie 2 took so long. And I think that was the number one biggest thing that hurt the Lego Movie 2 was how long it took to make that second one. Uh, But you're right. It takes a long time to make an animated movie. That's why I think it's so odd that they agreed to a five-year deal and not like a two or three-movie 
deal. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they make like two different teams and be like, okay, team A, you're working on this, and team B, you're working on this. That way they can get at least list and saw the article. Five years only sounds like they agreed to one movie. Yeah, I don't know. I think they can squeeze two out of it, but it's odd. Lego Minions, maybe? Don't you dare. I, that is... Mm, no. I think of what, what big universal properties there are. Like, Back to the Future and Ghostbusters are my go-to of that could be very interesting. And then have... That way you could actually have Christopher Lloyd and... um. <laughs> Michael J. Fox returned, but they wouldn't have to be on camera. They can voice act for it. True. I don't know, dude. There's a lot of just, I don't know about that whole deal. Just because it, in my mind too, that also says, all right, we're going to pin this deal. And if nothing happens, nothing happens. I'm also thinking of it as a theme park junkie of, so say Universal is making these movies. Well, Legoland is about an hour away from Universal Orlando. Who gets the merchandising rights? Yeah. The people that made Lego or the people at Universal that made the movie? Yeah. Or do you sell merchandise at both parks like they do with the Marvel stuff? I, I feel like you'd have to, but I, I don't know. I, that, I, that's like, if there be wasn't Legoland, I'd be like, oh, Universal's doing this so they can add a Lego section to their park, which on paper would be great. But there's already Legoland for that. Yes. Which, granted, how when's the last time you were at Legoland? It's not catered to my age demographic. <laughs> like every other theme park here in Orlando is like fun for everyone. Legoland is definitely more targeted for kids, which is fine. Yeah. But let's say Sesame Place is more targeted for families than Legoland is. <laughs> which don't be enough. hating on yeah, Sesame no, Place. I'll, I'll be I'll be with you on that one. I, I went to the way, way, way back in the day when like Bionicles were at their peak. Um, Dude, I went Bionicle reboot. Yeah, let's go. Um, but they, uh, they actually, they tried that and it, it flopped hard. Yeah. But, yeah. I've been to Legoland in England, I think. And yeah, granted I was like 10. I yeah, like it I then. I don't know if I would like it now as much. Don't get me wrong. I love Lego, but I feel like the rides and a lot of the park is more aimed for smaller kids. Um, the thing that I was thinking about, because I went to the one in, in California, um, was the, the like all the structures and the buildings. Because they did, they had a whole like city built when I went. And I like, as a kid, I was like, I don't care about this. This is just they're just building stuff with Legos, duh. But like now, as an adult, I think if I went back and, and looked at it, I'd be way more impressed. Yeah, probably. I'm, I'm just thinking like maybe you don't have to narrow it down. Like the original Lego movie was great because you had one character not based on anything else, but he interacted with things from other worlds. Like you had Benny from the spaceship set. Uh, maybe you introduce a really bland new character that's completely original for Lego, but then you have Back to the Future, Jaws, Ghostbusters, Fingers Crossed, the Universal Monsters show up. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see, man. I, I, I don't know. Again, I'll say it. I, I feel like that's only like a one-year deal. And I don't say that as a bad thing. I say that as let's see what we can come up with. If it does well, we'll pen up another deal. Yeah, I think it's 
very interesting to say the least. I don't see a lot of movies coming, but also I'm going to hold them to a pretty high standard just because I like the Warner Brothers Lego ones, even if they made progressively less money as time went on. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think that's, a, that's, um, I don't think that that is a bad sign. I don't think that's, that's a sign of, oh man, people are not as interested. I mean, bad movie, I think surprised the crap out of me as an adult. And I wish I had gone and seen it more times in the theater. Yeah. I think the biggest issue with Lego movies is twofold. One, the second movie, the official second one, Lego movie two, it took too long to come out after the first one. And also it wasn't to the quality that it should have been. And I think that really hurt it. And two, Every single Lego movie had terrible marketing campaign. I'll fight you on that. Of, I remember in college, I had to drag people kicking and screaming to the Lego movie saying, trust me, this is the best movie you will see all year. And then we got out of the theater going, yep, we're going to see it next week. Um, then I remember when Lego Batman came out, we're like, I don't know. That seems like a risk taking a side character from the Lego movie. And it worked just as well, if not better than the Lego movie. And then Ninjago came out. And that was really, really niche of you've got kids that watch the show, but average Joe Schmo isn't going to know what the heck a Ninjago is. And it wasn't really marketed to reach the Joe Schmo, which hurt the box office. And then the yeah. Lego Batman, I don't think was marketed as well as it should have been. Yes. So, and the, the weird thing is too, I've gone, I've seen, you know, chunks of the Ninjago movie for whatever reason. It's it's very entertaining. Now I have no idea anything about the lore or anything like that, but like there's certain parts that are very very entertaining. So it, in some way, shape, or form, Lego's always been able to show that it can be entertaining regardless of the content, at least in my opinion. But they need to find a way to, like you said, reach the Joe Schmo because you can't just put out your Lego content and expect the masses who aren't always dialed in to enjoy it. Yeah. Like Lego has a world of possibilities, but you got to figure out how to reach everyone for these movies. Yes. Well, um, I'm not going to lie. I was not expecting this movie to get a sequel, but I'm sure as heck glad that we will um, because it was a most pleasant surprise for me last year, and that being Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark has now officially been given a sequel with the original director coming back. This makes me super ecstatic because I felt like that was uh, the original Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark from last year was a movie that I think a lot of people slept on and didn't go out and see. And if they did, it was a certain demographic that grew up reading the stories. Um, I remember reading them. None of them really stuck in my memory that well, but I really, really enjoyed the movie. And I'm glad we get to revisit the world just because with the premise, like scary stories to tell in the dark, there's endless supply of directions that you can go. Um, Josh, did you see scary stories to, to tell in the dark? And are you excited for another one? I did not see it, mainly because I knew it was a book series, and I never read the book series, and I did, so I wasn't really... You do not need to have read the books to appreciate the the movie. But the trailers also didn't grip me at all. Like, it it, it felt like a a horror version of uh, of Jumanji with goosebumps. 
It is very wrong. Um, okay. I will sell you of, it is like smack dab exactly in the middle, somewhere between Monster House and the first Stephen King It movie. Oh. Okay. I can kind of get behind that. I don't it like is the original PG-13, but it is a hard PG-13, but it's got that like slice of old school Americana of an adventure that Monster House had. Hmm. Which, shout out to Monster House. Oh yeah, not nearly <laughs> enough people talk about Monster House, just because I think a lot of people were off-put by the CGI. Yeah, the animation is weird, but you get used to it by the end of the film. But yes, um, I think you would... Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is in the voodoo. I think you would really like it. It's a good happy medium between the intenseness of it while having the fun child adventure of Monster House. Okay. While also having some really darn good scares, actually. All right. Well, I'll add that to my list of stuff to watch this week. Um, Because I'm trying to make a list every week of things I want to be, I want to make sure that I watch because I find that if I don't experience new media i i just get bored so oh yep i'm i'm in the same boat but yeah i would say check out scary stories to tell in the dark and i'm really excited that the original director is coming back and we'll be getting more like the ending sets it up for a sequel i don't know if that's the route i'm interested in going down but i'm interested to spend more time in that world if nothing else yeah i would agree all right well cool dude uh well speaking of the voodoo this next story kind of sucks to talk about, but I can't say I'm surprised um, as Scoob will be heading to Voodoo as well as every other digital retailer as it will be bypassing its theatrical release and will be heading straight to video on demand on May 15th. This sucks, but I can't say I'm super surprised because right now nothing's being released in theaters, but also... With each passing trailer, Scoob kind of looked worse and worse. Yeah, I mm, I don't know. I mean, I'll watch it. Don't get me wrong. Oh, don't I'm get me wrong. Check it out. I will too. But somebody noted on Twitter, and it made me sad, of this is yet another direct-to-home video release of Scoob, and we haven't had a theatrical release since Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed in 2004. Yeah. Because this just counts as another digital release like some people would be like oh it's technically a like big budget movie i'm like it technically didn't come in theater so i'm just going to count it as yet another scooby-doo direct to dvd type movie which is unfortunately it's legacy right now yeah which uh, uh it's fine that's fine i'm okay with it it's you know i'll still i'll still rent it which also side tangent who the heck priced this? So they said on May 15th, you can either rent it or buy it. You can rent it for $19.99 or buy it for $25. Bucks. What? Yeah. So you can either rent it for $20 or just straight up buy the movie for $25. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, I know that they've been doing this, like, more expensive... Um, home release movies like Trolls or The Invisible Man, but the option of buying it too for just five bucks more. Why? Why would you rent it then? Just own it forever. Yeah. Which t- I, I can kind of see because some I can see somebody being like, I don't know about this movie, so I'll rent it. But then you're paying twice, so it's like, eh. But I don't know. 
I wish for stuff like Voodoo of if you had a certain version, like say you had like the SD or the HD, if you wanted to buy the next version up, like if you wanted to 4K scale it, just pay the difference and not rebuy it. Or like if you rented yeah. it for like $5.99, if you rented it and be like, I liked it and wanted to buy it, just pay the difference. Yeah, I I, I, I like that as well. But maybe they don't make as much money that way, but I don't know. I think that system works better. Yeah, I agree. But this makes me sad, but I can't say I'm surprised. That being said, I'll still rent it on May 15th because it's Scooby-Doo, and I'll give anything with Scooby-Doo a chance, even a pup named Scooby-Doo, which unfortunately I watched for way too much of my childhood. Um, I'll give it a shot, even though I heard not-so-good early rumblings of it's not actually a Scooby-Doo movie, and it's a, like, backdoor for that, like, Condor-looking character that it might actually more or less be a launching pad for him as a superhero character. Lame. I'm going, oh, no, let's not do that. Because it already doesn't look like a Scooby-Doo movie from the trailers, but... Yeah, okay. Let's get on. To, let's get on to the last news topic that I know you are much more excited about: the fact that we are getting a One Punch Man movie. <laughs> Josh, this is all yours. Take it away. Okay, so here's here's the questions I have. Right before I get excited, okay, who's M. making? Shyamalan is directing it. Wait, I'm really? kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh man, I was about to throw something against the wall. Oh. Um, He's now two-punch man. No, no. And he low-blows all of his opponents. No, no. Okay, so let me ask you this. Are you familiar with One Punch Man? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so the fact, A, Sony is is bringing it, right? So that that means there's some actual money behind it. And from what Um, I've heard, it's, I think, I think, I could be wrong on this, but I think it's the people that did Zombieland. That's yeah. No, that's that's got it. That's right on the money because that's the humor of the show. Um, because it's it, it's interesting to watch that the your main character, who literally is the most boring person on the face of the planet, yet has this like incredible power that apparently he only got from doing hundred sit ups, hundred push ups, and a mile a day for a year. Um, <laughs> I it's it's. It's very interesting show that I think definitely deserves a a theatrical movie. Now, my question is going to be, is this animated or is this live action? I would prefer if it was animated, but I have a fear that it will be live action. So, I really want, if it is live action, I'm okay. I think I'm more okay with doing a One Punch Man because I think you can do that a little a little easier than maybe some other animes i i don't know because would you go straight r with it yes but not because of language because there's not a lot of necessarily language with it but because of the the devastation that is required to show the power of his punches um, y- there's gotta be blood. There's gotta be like, you know, very grotesque stuff that happens because he legitimately punched like people into non-existence. So yeah, it's, for it, the people that don't know, you, One Punch Man is exactly how he sounds. 
He literally has beaten all of his enemies with just one punch, and now he's bored of everything. Which, honestly, if that's your, if you explain that uh, as, as the premise of the show to somebody who hasn't seen it, that doesn't sound like an interesting show at all. But it's like the way that they. It's a they dark do comedy. It. So. Very. So. Uh, I think it could work, actually. Yeah. I think, um, if anything, it show it, they do it right. And it's Sony, so that's up in the air. Um, but if they do it right, this could show. Not only a is anime definitely a good source of, of uh, movie material, or B and B, guys, there's directions we can take these superhero movies that have not been reached before, and we can take it. You know, Deadpool was just a, a just a little playground. We can do some really, really, really awesome stuff. Yeah, John Cena for One Punch Man. No, he kicks out at one. Get out of here. No, I actually, I think I would be super down for someone like um, Elijah Wood. Really? Yes, as One Punch Man. Shave his hair because he's awkward. He's He can play that that kind of dry humor very, very well. Um, he's Going a great Sony, actor. they'll be like, well, the Zombieland guys are doing this. Jesse Eisenberg it is. That was if I didn't hate his acting so much, I would have said Je- Jesse because especially him, him as him bald, just doesn't look like much. The the point of uh, Saitama is that he doesn't look like much. Hmm. He, he's basically if Superman and Caillou were melded in one person. <laughs> yes, <laughs> except he doesn't ask stupid questions. <laughs> he's just worried about coupons. <laughs> I I would like this and maybe it's someone that doesn't know the material as much of like go where Hancock should have gone of like yes, yes. full-fledged dark humor it, it has to be like even just like open up with the scene uh, I don't know if you how familiar you are with the show but there's a scene in the show where he uh, Genos his uh his apprentice or whatever is out fighting like a really terrible villain. And Saitama is, is just like the whole episode is on the balcony of his apartment, trying to kill a mosquito. <laughs> and he ends up like destroying parts of like massive parts of the building, trying to kill this mosquito. <laughs> that's See, how something you like that. Up. I think could really, really work. And I think that's why yes. we were so disappointed with Hancock because it had an interesting setup, but it didn't really pay it off. Yes. Go all out with it for this movie of Absolutely. Just go big or go home with it. Yes. That's why I think uh I, I now that I said it, I'm kind of down really, really down for it for Elijah Wood to play Saitama. Just that deadpan humor I, it, I think would really, really work. Alrighty. Well, you got a sponsor for us before we delve into our main discussion. <laughs> Not really, no. I haven't really done much this 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 month, uh, this week. How about you? Let's see. There's got to be something. Um, no, I got nothing yeah. either, man. Yeah. Lysol. <laughs> Disinfect your hands, people. 
<laughs> it's funny that we haven't done that yet. <laughs> that that's the reason for this quarantine. Sorry, guys, this one's on us. We didn't we yep. didn't warn you ahead of time. Yeah, <laughs> it's all Josh's fault. He's responsible yep. for these. Hey, these man. Hey, hey. I understand. It is all my fault. And I mean, I won't fight the notion that I'm secretly a terrible person, considering I have on multiple t- uh, uh, attempts being like, hey, we should do top 10 pandemic movies during this time. <laughs> Which completely accidentally, in this quarantine time, I've found, a, I've watched a whole bunch of movies that I didn't even realize were good quarantine movies until after I watched them. <laughs> Like yep. um, Ant-Man and the Wasp. He's on house arrest. Um, Back to the Future 3. Heather and I watched the entire trilogy one day. But one of the characters in Back to the Future 3 says, oh, I got quarantined for three months. And I'm like, um, say what? <laughs> oh. um, or there's something else that I feel like I watched that they're all like more or less stuck in the house for a while. Well, um, yeah, I don't... I can't I remember either. But you ready to move on underrated movies? Let's go, boy. I have a feeling that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, that we're going to have a couple of the same ones. But oh, yeah. I'm, I'm very confident in thinking that we there's going to be some on your list that are not on mine as well. And Agreed. Uh, and I will say right at the top, um, I do not have some movies that I always mention for underrated so today I will not be mentioning Iron Giant. Insert my payment this time for putting in the Iron Giant <laughs> jar that we need for this mm-hmm. podcast. Um, won't say Treasure Planet. I won't say Warrior. I've I've agreed to not saying Warrior either. Okay. I, I know we wanted it, we wanted to say uh, say this off the top is because we love those movies, but I. And they are incredibly underrated, but I feel like we talk up, we talked about them so much that we wanted to do something with this list where it was stuff that we don't always talk about. Yes. And I will have some carryover from my underrated Halloween movies, but I tried to get some other ones too, besides that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do you got off the top? Off the top, my man. Um, <laughs> this might be. Uh, adjust me, but that's okay. Um, Triple X, The Return of Xander, of Xander Cage is way more fun than I think anybody gives it credit for. You're right. <laughs> you are the only one that thinks that. Oh, come on. <laughs> Dude, I've watched a whole bunch of like worst movies of a given year and that was on it. I know, but okay, here's the thing. I really, really enjoy at least the first Triple X. The second one's not bad. But um, the Vin Diesel Triple X is a lot of fun, and it helps, in my opinion, that this movie is way more action heavy, and they bring in some really cool people to do some of the action pieces, like Donnie Yen, like Tony Jaw, you know, like all of these guys. I'm sure that, that has like, nothing to do with your overall nothing at all. I mean, love but and like, enjoyment for this movie, But here's the thing, though: it elevates all of the fight scenes. It's straight. The story is straightforward. It's, it's a spy thriller, a spy action movie. There's they don't try to pull any any fancy moves on you story wise, but it's it does what it's supposed to do but and it's in my opinion very fun 
good to know because you are the first and only person I've ever said that spoke positively about this movie. Oh, come on. <laughs> Who else do you know that would so say sorry. anything good about it? Leave me alone, right? I don't need to be played. That's why it's underrated. <laughs> you do realize that I like the remake of Clash of the Titans. We all have our dub movies. Also true. <laughs> but I won't put Clash of the Titans on this list. I understand that it's crap, but I don't know why I like it. I just do. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I have not one, but two John Cusack movies. Okay. Um, I'll talk about the one that I think is probably on your list second. Um, but I have probably one of the most underrated 80s comedies, Better Off Dead. Did I ever show you this in college? I feel like I've seen it somewhere. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. So for those that don't know, it has probably the most warped and twisted uh, main plot for a rom-com like ever of John Cusack's lane, his girlfriend breaks up with him. And for about half the movie, he's trying to think of creative ways to kill himself, but comedically gets interrupted each time. Um, So like he puts car fluid in his glass and is trying to um, like poison himself but somebody else's mom drinks it and accidentally lights a match and explodes herself. Um, oh, wow. It's great. Or he accidentally tries to hang himself and he's just like, what am I doing with my life? I should gather myself together and try and fix myself. But as he's doing that, his mom walks in and knocks him off his thing. So he accidentally starts legitimately hanging himself. Um, <laughs> or the single best line that you really could not get away with nowadays, but he is trying to commit suicide by jumping off a bridge overlooking the highway. And one of his friends comes to talk him down and he's just like, all right, I see your point. And so his friend pats him on the back and he falls off the bridge anyway. Um, but thankfully he falls into a nearby and uh, he falls into a passing by garbage truck. And so he just sits in the back of the garbage truck for a while. He passes two black guys fixing uh, the cable, like the big, big telephone wires. They see him in the trash can. He waves to him and the two guys just look at each other. It's a shame people would be throwing away a perfectly good white boy. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> it is so off the wall, ridiculously dumb, but funny of like just warped humor. And it was wonderful. My mom introduced me to it a few years ago. And it's like, I don't know. I'm not a big John Cusack fan. I'm not a big rom-com fan. I still to this day don't like rom-coms. This one focuses on the comedy first and just the wrong type of comedy or there's like a character that is obsessed with snorting everything he can and so he discovers snorting snow and I don't mean that as a lingo for anything else he literally snorts snow so when John Cusack's character is skiing down a hill he's just like this mountain is covered with snow do you know the street value of this mountain Get out of it. <laughs> uh, it is so dumb fun. Also, fun fact, the he has to win the affection of a new girl who is more or less in an arranged relationship with some uh, cheeky guy named Dan Schneider. Okay. Dan Schneider 
would later grow on to create Drake and Josh, Victorious, Zoe 101, oh. iCarly. Okay. That's crazy. It is Wait, such a is- funny movie. If you have not seen Better Off Dead, absolutely watch it. Now, for the Wait, other John Cusack is- movie, I know for a fact Josh has watched because it is one of both of our favorite horror movies of all time, 1408. Yeah, boy. Um, no one talks about this movie anymore, and it makes me sad because, frankly, and I'll die on this hill, it's one of the best Stephen King adaptations. And it's probably one of the best John Cusack movies ever. Unfortunately, that's not saying much. I know, I know. <laughs> I won't um, forget the bag man, John Cusack. <laughs> and I think a lot of the what this movie has going for it is that John Cusack is acting his butt off because he's got to play against a room, basically. He's more or less the only real act, like the only real character that you're going to follow for most of the movie. Like the trailers will have you believe, oh yeah, Samuel L. Jackson's in this movie. He's he's really not, except for the beginning and a weird scene with the fridge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, so for those that don't know, 1408, um, John Cusack's character is a horror writer who more or less goes to the quote-unquote spoopiest parts of the world and tries to rate hotels and locations based on how scary they are. Uh, he gets summoned to a mysterious hotel in New York where it says, don't stay in room 1408. Um, and so he's just like, whatever, how scary can it be? And everyone in the hotel is just like, don't stay there, don't stay there, but he doesn't buy it. Sure enough, the room is not what it appears. And also, the movie is not what it appears. At first, you think it's just going to be your stereotypical psycholo- uh, supernatural horror. But it actually is more of a character dive into the character that John Cusack is playing of why he's a horror writer in his desperate hope for maybe there's life after death. Because if there is, there's hope for someone else from my past type of thing. It's more introspective and personal and not like, don't get me wrong. There's some good scares, but it's more of a, uh, tragedy than anything else. Tragedy with a happy ending, depending on which version you watch. Yeah. I, um, I think what gets it, what's crazy is the, the bane switch towards the end of the film still gets me every time. Really? Every time. And I don't know why. Like it, I mean, it's a, it, to its credit, it's a very well done, well written, well filmed movie. I, I don't know why it still gets me, even though I know what's happening. Also, to me, uh, every horror movie is only as good as your protagonist. And I really think John Cusack's character is one of the best of, he's not an idiot of, he genuinely outsmarts the room. Well, and not just that, but he, he consistent, I think what, what gives the room validity as a, as something that we, the audience should be nervous about is that he, the way he interacts with it at the beginning is, does everything to disprove that the room could be doing that it is, you know, not somebody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he approaches it like he would everything else. I'm just like, all right, well. Here's the reasons why this isn't true. Yeah, exactly. 
What else you got? Because I got a lot more. Oh, dude, I, I was I, it was one of the, those things where I was as I do when I have a blank mind, I had like three or four on my list and I was like, well, yeah, but I feel like those are obvious coming from me. So I started looking at lists. Almost all of Tony Jaws filmography. (laughs) Okay. Leave me alone. Um, (laughs) There is outside of triple X. There's not a, there's not a Tony John movie on here. What about Scott Atkins? Um, No, there's not a Scott Atkins film on here. Actually, what's wow. crazy is the only like kung fu movie on this this list, and I'll go ahead and talk about it, is Kung Fu Hustle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually gonna suggest that, like half joking. No, yeah, dude. Okay, so have you ever seen Kung Fu Hustle? I have. It's you know how funny it is. It is. A very serious kung fu film wrapped up in one of the best comedies I've ever seen. I jokingly said that like a few weeks ago when I mentioned Kung Fu Hustle, not even realizing that it was one of your favorites. But oh, dude, I enjoy there's some the movies, crap folks. That when we mention them, they're just—I don't know how to describe them other than Josh movies. <laughs> yes. Um, so Kung Fu Hustle is. Uh, how do you describe <laughs> hustle? Um, <laughs> it's about a lot of characters. Um, it basically takes place takes place in like uh, modern ish Japan ish ish. It's not really clear when it's when it's uh, t- uh, time pieced, but because like there's a random like weird jazz mob number <laughs> in like the beginning of the film um that never comes back uh i don't know it's a it's a interesting film that is very it's, it's too funny for its own good um yeah <laughs> well if you got your comedy i'll throw out my comedy i have some movies on my list that have some comedic elements, but I only have one out-and-out comedy, and it is one that we have talked about at, uh, before, but I will forever sing the praise of this movie, and people need to see this because it's great. Tucker and Dale versus Evil. <laughs> Y'all need to see this movie because it is so clever and original and out of the box. It is so good. Also, it has some of the most likable protagonists I've seen in a movie in a long time of you immediately meet Tuckerndale and you're just like, yeah, I just want to chill with you guys. I I don't even care what we're doing for the day. Oh, you guys are fixing up a shed? I'll go grab some tools and help. Why not? You guys yeah. seem cool. So the premise of Tuckerndale versus Evil is all those redneck slasher movies, except the rednecks are the good guys and all the deaths of the teenage students are completely accidental and caused by the teenagers themselves by massive misunderstandings. So like, I'm pretty sure this is Josh's all time favorite kill in any movie ever of there's a scene where Tucker is putting wood in the wood chipper and a teenager thinks he's the killer. So he charges after him. Tucker bends down to pick up more wood and the kid jumps head first into the wood chipper. Yep, it's it's a pretty great kill because he's, he's grabbing the feet like, wait, no! <laughs> and so as soon as the, he drags the kid out of the wood chipper, he's only holding his legs like they're the bottom half of Anakin Skywalker in Revenge of the Sith. 
But then as soon as he has his legs, the good guy cop shows up and just goes, what the heck? And so on paper, it looks like Tucker just fed a teenager to a wood chipper and you can't really explain to a cop. He jumped in. Yeah, because he says that. He's like, I don't know. He just threw himself in there. And then, like, people die by accidental nails that was set up early in the movie of, man, you should really fix that um, that board. It's going to impale somebody. And sure enough, it does later in the movie. <laughs> Completely by accident. That's the thing that I, I, that gets me is really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 98% of all the kills happen by accident. Or the, there's a great scene, um, like there's that stereotype of the redneck with the chainsaw chasing after the teenagers. There's a scene where yeah. redneck is ch- uh, has a chainsaw and he's only running because he accidentally cut into a, a full beehive and he's being chased by the bees. So he's trying to warn the teenagers to also run away from the bees. But then they just run and yeah. One of them too. runs straight into a tree branch and impales himself. Yes. Okay. So you want to like, talk about we have your friend, which the teenagers read that as a threatening like taunt slash ransom, whereas the rednecks yes. mean, oh yeah, we have your friend. You can pick her up at any time. Yeah. <laughs> it's the greatest miscommunication movie ever. <laughs> so you wanted to talk about about basically like non conventional comedies, right? Uh, which is really what D- Tucker and Dale versus Evil is, is a non-conventional co- comedy. Um, so do you want to bring up Swiss Army Man or should I? Go for it. Okay. So before he was General Hux, um, oh man, I can never remember his name, but Don he's Hall in Gleason. this Yes, he's in this movie acting with Daniel Radcliffe. Yes, Harry Potter Daniel Radcliffe. Who, I'll Uh, be honest, of all the main young kids from Harry Potter, he has turned into the best actor out of all of them by far. Well, uh, to be fair, I think that's because he's the only one acting. Um, Like Emma Watson kind of just, she's more concerned and she'll pop up and stuff. Yeah, he's more about uh, about world change than she is acting, and I can't blame her for that. Um, and the guy that played Ron, he like he's he a just TV guy now. He's TV, does whatever. He like apparently runs an ice cream truck. He's you know, that, whatever. He's he's expecting his first kid. What? That's crazy. Okay. Yeah, we're but, old, man. Yeah, oh, jeez. Uh, actually, they're all about the same age. So that's that's the more crazy part. Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe's um, like thirty, I think now. Jeez, dude, have you seen the trailer for his new movie, Akita Guns? Uh, Guns Akimbo. Yeah, sorry. Where he's got guns for hands and he has to <laughs> figure out how to go to the bathroom. <laughs> All right. So anyway, this <laughs> army man could actually be a prequel to Guns Akimbo. Basic, yeah. It totally could. Basically, the movie follows our two characters. Um, General Hux is a guy who wants to kill himself, but then no, he's found... not. It's yeah, Paul Dano. Wait, I'm just not realizing you're no. It's Paul Dano, not Domo Gleason. Holy cow, you're right. I mean, they look so so similar. It's tough, but yeah, holy cow. Okay, well, hi, I'm a terrible person. How are you? Our new Riddler, um, not General Hux. 
Yes. Regardless, he attempts to kill himself, but then finds the body of Daniel Radcliffe's character, who really isn't. I'm trying to remember his name, but he, it's never really clear on who he actually is. Because they have all these adventures in the in the forest, trying to get back. That, to... You're missing an important detail about Daniel Radcliffe's character. <laughs> I'm getting there. Okay, all their all their adventures to get back to uh, society. The the trick is, it's never really clear if Radcliffe is alive or not. Yeah, it's a very odd comedy of Daniel Radcliffe may or may not actually be a dead person that Paul Dano's carrying around that like has farts and his farts can propel him like a oh my goodness like a boat <laughs> dude the, and he the, might the, actually more or less be an scene. allegory for grief for Paul yes, Dano's character that he needs to overcome it's about dealing with depression and understanding that sometimes life just happens and you can't just off yourself because it's tough. Yes. It's a very odd movie, but if you can appreciate the oddness, I think you can really, really enjoy it. Um, Absolutely. That kind of reminds me of a movie, not entirely, but kind of that out of left field-ish movie, um, but one that I liked a lot better than Swiss Army Man, but... Not that Swiss Army Man's wrong, but I think I like this other movie better. It kind of off the beaten path, but give it more credit than it's due. I think a lot of people wrote this movie off. One, because of its weird name. Admittedly, it is weird. But a lot of people also probably wrote it off because they still think Shia LaBeouf is a reckless, wild boy that can't act. Well, yeah. Peanut Butter Falcon is one oh. of the most criminally underrated movies of last year. Dude. What's so sad is that it is underrated because like, because everyone still assumes Shia LaBeouf is the crazy guy. That's just a dick that doesn't like to work with other people and is a terrible actor. Uh, no, from all accounts over the past few years, he's really worked on turning his life around and becoming a phenomenal actor. And I'll put it on record. Peanut Butter Falcon is probably one of his best works besides Honey Boy. And the only reason I would say it is his best work is because I haven't seen Honey Boy yet. It's not an easy watch. I'll say that. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. But I mean, the guy is on a whole nother level right now. And I, I can't wait to see what he does. So for those that might not know, Peanut Butter Falcon basically stars um, this young boy with Down syndrome named Zach Gottsagen, which is really, really cool because the actor in real life has Down syndrome, and he was discovered at a camp uh, for other kids with Down syndrome by these filmmakers, and they really hit it off with him, and he's just like, well, why not have me in a movie? And they're like, well, movies don't typically have actors with Down syndrome, and he didn't really get why. So, And then the director's like, well, yeah, that is kind of a stupid rule that Hollywood has, so we'll make a movie with you, Zach, even if we have to make it ourselves. So that's what they did. They cast this kid who had never been in anything before, and he's like the most lovable and immediately endearing character you've seen in years. Zach Gottsagen is outstanding. And Shia LaBeouf like takes this kid under his wing. So this kid basically wants to become a professional wrestler. So he needs to make his way down to Florida because everyone knows that's where wrestlers live. Um, and basically become a wrestler. 
So he escapes out of his old folk home that he lives in because that's where he can get proper care and attention from his nurse, Dakota Johnson, who is completely redeeming herself for her performance in the Fifty Shades movies, where he runs into Shia LaBeouf's character, who's on the wrong side of the law. Shocker for a Shia LaBeouf character. Um, And Shia (laughs) LaBeouf agrees to take him down to Florida because that's more or less where he's on his way to anyway. And the two of them have a really, really fun old-fashioned Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn-type adventure, but it's really endearing and heartwarming of Zach is a completely lovable and genuine kid, and you can see Shia just really playing off that energy and bringing his absolute A-game in this. Mm -hmm. You can tell he's, like, protecting the kid both in front of and behind the camera. Mm-hmm. Like there's well, this genuine friendship is, there. Yeah, what's crazy is the um the guy the the guy that plays uh, <laughs> the the Down syndrome kid Zach. He is actually the reason that Shy went to rehab, which hmm. is crazy. But this film, what, what what I love it does, and it's very much speaks to the reason they made the film. Um, is but I, I, it's summed up to me in that first interaction between Shy's character and, and Zach is in that it, it, at, at some point early on in the in the them running away, they have to stop and have that conversation of what are the rules, what you know, what what where are we going, blah blah blah, and uh, Zach basically goes, "Hey, I need to tell you." that I have down syndrome and shy's character is kind of like, yeah. And what's your, yeah, point? he's like, you're still pulling your way here, but dude, dude. Yeah. Yep. And it's, and the way that shy's character champions Zach and the way the conversations that he has, it, it's not, at no point does it feel like we're supposed to pity Zach the only time I feel like I'm supposed to pity him is the is when the way that um, Dakota's character treats him, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, look, we've gotta, we've gotta, you know, take care of him and treat him because you know, the, you know, conditions, blah blah blah. But then like, character immediately gets on her on her case, and all of a sudden you see this like conversation being had in the film that's not verbally being had. It's almost like they're echoing the real-life situation of Zach wants to become a professional wrestler. He wants mm-hmm. this, like, million-to-one-odds uh, million dream, a.k.a. acting, um, and will do anything he can to see that dream happen, even if it means teaming up with a character, a.k.a. actor, looking for a little bit of redemption. And they find mm-hmm. it in their friendship. They do. It's a very good film, and honestly, I... I, I, I sp- to say to anyone I mean, you need to see it. Yeah, anybody that says Shia LaBeouf isn't a good actor or he's only that kid from Transformers, guys, you have not seen his stuff recently. He is one of the best working today. And also, did you see he's doing a movie with Florence Pugh and Christopher and Chris Pine? No. Yeah, he's doing some new thriller. I'm like, oh, yes, because I love all three of those people. So the people that say that um, Shia LaBeouf can't act because of the Transformers movies are the same people that say that Robert Pattinson can't act because of the Twilight films. Yeah, that 
That's why I like to share that meme that always goes around of, you mean this is our new Batman? No, this is. And it shows like him in Lighthouse, Good Time, High Life. Or one movie that I'll talk about for underrated, The Lost City of Z or Lost City of Zed, if you really want to be pretentious about it. (laughs) Okay, I don't think I've actually seen this film. Really? Have you heard about it at all? I've heard of it, but I haven't. Oh, dude, heard. it's so good. So, <laughs> um, it was also redemption for Charlie Hunnam for me because he was god awful in the King Arthur movie, which is still one of the worst movies that I've ever seen in theaters. Um, which but is basically, Charlie Hunnam's character is this explorer who's trying to find this lost mythical city of Z. He spends his whole life looking for it. It's more or less like El Dorado, except it's less concerned with the treasure hunting as it is with, like, the day-to-day operations of expeditions type, of, like, taking a toll on the psyche and the characters. Um, So Charlie Hunnam is our main character, but his, like, second-in-command, his lieutenant, is a heavily bearded, almost unrecognizable Robert Pattinson, who's really, really good, actually. Um, But it's Charlie Hunnam more or less telling, like, the science committee of just, like, I will find this city. And eventually, he brings his young son, his adult son now, played by a young Tom Holland, with him in his adventure. Wow. It's a loaded cast. It's not your stereotypical treasure hunt movie because, yes, the city's the main goal, but it's not like a swashbuckling adventure. It's more like a drama treasure hunt movie. Yeah. But it is really, really good. And I was very pleasantly surprised. Well, that's all. Hey, man, look at that. Robert Pattinson popping up again. Amazon Prime, people. <laughs> um, yeah, Let's dude. Like any it. Robert Pattinson movie in the last 10 years. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> Including Remember Me. Anyway. Um, <laughs> well, thankfully, you know that came out 11 years ago, so that doesn't count. All right. Screw you. Um, you know what's crazy, though? You? I have two Ryan Gosling, Gosling films on my list. Really? Are either of them The Notebook? No. One of them is Drive. I don't think that's underrated at all. Are you sure? Here's the thing. Dude, a lot of people like Drive. They have anybody that has seen it, likes it. I don't know. Drive is one of those cult movies, like a couple other movies we'll talk about later, that I don't think it did particularly well in theaters, but has found this like almost cultish following yes well because there's the theory that um drive and uh i think it's between the pines another ryan gosling film it are almost in the same universe the place between the pines i think place between the pines there it is it's but okay so drive the thing is the reason i'm saying it's underrated is because yes it has this cult following and yes it is a actually really good film but not a lot of people have heard it because, and I think again, a lot of these actors that are are getting real big nowadays, people like Ryan Gosling, right? Rob, like Robert Pattinson, like Shia LaBeouf, when they first broke into the business, they had a few movies that they were kind of basically typecasted for. And all three of those guys that you mentioned started off in like kid stuff. Ryan Gosling with the Mickey Mouse Club, Shia with Even Stevens and Holes, Robert Pattinson with Twilight and Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Well, and even with Ryan, it's tough. It, 
it's why I was nervous to watch this film because I wanted to see it, but I was like, but it's Ryan Gosling, you know, like Ryan from all of those, those, those like chick flicks, like, ugh. but he's an incredible actor. And something that I think he shows in this film is how good he can, he can play dramatic roles. Um, basically the movie's about, uh, a, a stunt man driver who basically works for, ends up working for the mob. <laughs> so, it, but it's a, it's a very well done film. I don't want to say much because I don't want to ruin anything because it, it's, yeah, it's just happens <laughs> to say the least. I want that jacket though. Everyone wants that jacket. It's oh, such a cool jacket, bro. And the minute you wear it, you spill spaghetti sauce on it. Yep, of course. Because it's now, white. <laughs> yes, with a cool is. scorpion on it. Yeah, boy. Sting um, comes so, back for one more match and wears that jacket. Oh, I do. Don't even. Or if, uh, okay, real quick. Um, if Taker ever comes back and st- in the guise of a motorcycle gang, which I would love, um, Sting joins him. In the motorcycle gang, and that's no, 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 <laughs> because I'm having flashbacks to when Sting cameoed on Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> Fair enough, because he right, did, so, folks, and it was as bad as it sounds. Yes, it was. Um, so speaking of uh, the other Ryan Gosling film that I wanted to talk about, and it's I only bring this up because not a lot of people saw it and not a lot of people know about it. Um, did you ever see The Nice Guys with Robert uh, with Ryan Gosling and uh, Russell Crowe? I love The Nice Guys. And it's so good. good. Oh, oh my so goodness. It's a buddy cop movie. But one of the buddies is a complete and utter moron. <laughs> so, like, Ryan Gosling is an actual detective, and Russell Crowe is, I think, a hitman, right? Uh, a little bit of a private, de- pri- uh, private detective, a little bit of a hitman. He basically so, Ryan Gosling, de- as an official, like, detective detective, he's trying to break into somebody's house. So, he does the age-old, I'll break your window and unlock the door from the inside. Well... The moron that he is, he punches the glass to unlock the door, but he slits his own wrist accidentally and sends himself to the ICU. <laughs> At one point, he's like, he's like trying to like walk it. He's like, it's fine, it's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. And then he like takes his hand off and like almost pukes because he's like, oh god, there's a lot of blood. <laughs> or like when Russell Crowe finally finds him, he finds him on a bathroom, and so Ryan Gosling <laughs> has to decide whether he's like. Going to hold his pants up, hold the cigar in his mouth, or hold the door open with his gun in hand. So <laughs> it's like trying to multitask on the toilet. Oh, it's just. It's great. When, they, uh, when they're trying to get rid of the body and they accidentally dump it, uh, dump it on the table at a wedding. <laughs> it's just twisted and wrong. It reminded me actually oh. a lot of uh, Chitty Chitty, not Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That's a very different movie. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yes. Uh, with Russell, with Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer. Um, very throwback buddy cop, but just a warped sense of humor. Yeah, it's, if nobody has, if you haven't seen Nice Guys, I always like to recommend it as a, as a good buddy cop. I mean, granted, it's definitely not a buddy cop that's all that's for the whole family it's it earns its R rating it's (laughs) um it's i won't say like deadpool intense but like it's set in the 70s 
seventies cop era. Just yeah. Yep. Seventies California at that. Is it Russell Crowe or yeah, it's Russell Crowe that has the daughter. That's like the best part of the movie that he brings with her, that he brings her with him like everywhere. Yes. And she's completely unfazed by anything. She is. It's it's a very good film, and I think more people need to watch it. It is really funny. Not for everybody, but it's really, really funny. Yes, I would agree. Let's see. Um trying to think of what I want to tackle next. I'll go with um my other one that came out last year that you and I have talked about uh plenty of times. But somehow, some way, this movie was able to overcome probably one of the worst first trailers for a movie ever in Fighting With My Family. Yes! The first trailer, when they show Paige and her brother first meeting The Rock, that they showed endlessly on WWE programming for months, was probably one of the most wrenched trailers I've ever seen, and it made me not want to watch the movie. And also the whole, Paige here, was just terrible marketing so i didn't know what to expect and also it's no secret that wwe studios doesn't necessarily make the best movies looking at you 12 rounds three starring dean ambrose uh (laughs) i still don't forgive you for that so my expectations were pretty low i still think that it was one of the most criminally underrated movies of last year and it's one of the best feel-good quote-unquote sports movies of recent memory it's really good it is. I think a lot of it, uh, as far as quality, is mainly because The Rock is involved. No, not at all. No, yeah. <laughs> no, he's barely in the movie. The movie's quality, one, because of its outstanding cast, which includes uh, Florence Pugh, which was, this was the first movie I ever saw her in, and she was outstanding. Uh, the actor that played her brother was equally as good. Nick Frost was great as their father. Lena Headey was really entertaining as the mom. Um, really excellent cast, but I still think I give more credit to Stephen Merchant, who directed the movie, than I will The Rock, just because The Rock produced it, and he briefly cameoed in it. And I know you say he championed the movie, but I, I don't really see him much as the driving force of this movie. He's, I mean, he's the reason it got made. Yes, but there's a difference between a movie being made and the reason why it's good. Fair enough. Okay, I'll give you that. Also, so, it, if you can get, like, if you know nothing about WWE, I think you'll enjoy it more because as a fan, well, former fan now, uh, I nitpicked a lot of it of like, wait, this is supposed to be set in 2014. Why do we have 2019 graphics on here? Or yeah. who are you supposed to be? type of thing. Um, But as a movie, it was wildly entertaining, ridiculously funny, um, really hopeful and uplifting. Like, yes, uh, Florence Pugh was great as Paige, but let's all be honest, the real MVP of that movie was the blind kid that learned to wrestle. Oh, dude, let's go. No joke. There's actually, that's actually based off something that happened in real life. Paige's brother taught a blind kid how to wrestle in a ring. And like it to the point where he actually does like a moonsault off of the top rope, which is incredible to watch. But it's a really good, uplifting family story that I feel like more people should have seen. And now you can because it's on Hulu. So watch it, people. It's great. Absolutely. Um, so is this a part of the part of the discussion where we talk about dread or it is only a matter of time before it had to come up? I've been <laughs> dreading it. Oh, jeez. 
No, I've been looking forward to it. And now that we've gotten fighting with my family out of the way, I have no more family-friendly ones. So let's get into Dread because, you know, Dread is perfect for the whole family. Uh, yeah. Perfect for the whole family if you're all into brutal murder and sex fantasies. <laughs> yes, let's drop this criminal from the top of a 150-story building and drop him into the lobby. Yeah, that, yeah I, I see no problem with that. And, all, <laughs> and honestly... One of the top five greatest comic book adaptations ever in terms of casting from comic to screen of, yes, you got J.K. Simmons will always be number one with J. Jonah Jameson. Number two or number three has to be Carl Urban as Dread. That is so spot on. He is perfect. And it's really unfortunate because Carl is really good. I wanted um, him as Batman, dang it. Uh, see, I can see that. He, I think his Bruce Wayne wouldn't be as good, though. Yeah, but he, he's more or less the same character, except for the killing thing. Unless he, unless he actually did join Batman versus, versus Superman, in which case he probably kills less people. <laughs> Jeez. You know, it'd be cool to see him come out of nowhere as Lobo. <laughs> well, I mean, he was already in Ragnarok. Uh, stop, all right? Behold, Listen. my stuff. <laughs> He's great in Ragnarok. For those that don't know, Dread is basically like the best cop there is in Mega City One, which every basically America is a wasteland, and there's these major cities where everyone lives in these massively stacked towers. So one day he's called to a location called Peach Trees, where the great mob boss Mama, played once again by Lena Headey, uh, who is one of the most punchable villains ever. She is so evil. She makes Cersei Lannister look like a nice lady. Um, she more or less has killed some people and left a big old message. And now he has to take her down. The only thing is, he is on the bottom floor and she and all of her goons are scattered throughout the building and she's on the top floor. So he has to go floor by floor taking out everyone while at the same time looking out for a rookie that he just got under his wing earlier that day, who may or may not be psychic. Yes. And what's interesting, too, is that um, when we say four by four, like we're not talking like three or four floors. Like it's like what, like 100 or something like that? Yeah. Like basically it's- picture a apartment complex the size of the Empire State Building. Yeah, essentially. And he has to go floor by floor to get to the top floor to take out the main mob boss. Yeah, it's it's a very good film. It's got great kills. The stuff what they go, they do with the gun is very interesting. Slow mo um, is a really cool effect that they do. So Mama is selling this drug called slow mo that basically slows the world down to ridiculously slow speeds. And what they do with that actually really really works. I think in the film, and it's a really cool effect. Um, I will say my one criticism of the movie, and I've always had it even since I watched it for the first time in college, the CGI blood has to rank as some of the worst I've ever seen in an action movie. Yeah, I I, I agree. It, it, it looks not- like Microsoft Paint. Yeah, it doesn't look good. <laughs> Which is sad because a lot of the rest of the movie is really spot on in terms of production design. You really can't tell what was a physical set and what was a CGI set. Yeah, it's, I don't know. There's a lot of really, really good things. I think 
if the blood splatter is the only is an issue, it's to me the only real issue. Oh yeah, because the action scenes. I'm very particular about how action is shot. Like I still want to be able to see the action because how it's shot and edited really makes or breaks an action scene. And it's shot and edited so well, everything is clear and focused, and they continually ramp up the action to the point of like when they go from like handguns to machine guns. It's a big leap. And then all of a sudden, someone brings in a big old Gatling and you get nervous because you can clearly tell in a confined space, oh, that's doing a lot of damage. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's just so good. And there's been talk for a while doing like a series or another movie, but I don't think it'll happen, unfortunately. Yeah, I I don't think it would either. It's it just it doesn't work unless it's as big as the, and it won't work without Carl Urban. <laughs> True, and I think he would come back. Basically, I think he would even come back for like not a lot of money just to be dread again. I, I can see that. Um, so while we're on the talk of really violent films, um, have you ever seen uh, Law Abiding Citizen? I have not. Okay, so Gerard Butler. Basically plays, I don't know what technically his character does, but like for a job, but he basically his house, it's robbed and his wife and children are killed in front of him. And the bad guys literally get away with it. Like they get caught, they take him to, to court and they literally get off free. So with like probation or something like that. And that's it. So he... In a very intense scene, he catches the main one and uh, kills him in a very... Yeah, I've heard it's very brutal movie. Very brutal, very creative. But then, so then he gets sent to jail, though, because it's obvious that he murdered. So then the movie takes a turn and turns into Shawshank Redemption if Andy was a bad guy. (laughs) Well, don't you know... He killed his wife and the guy that she was hooking up with. What are you talking about? He's he's innocent. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. What? Whatever. You haven't seen Shawshank in a while. <laughs> no, it's that's the joke. Is everybody's innocent in Shawshank? Yep. Lawyer screwed him over. Yep. <laughs> but it's a except for Morgan Freeman. He's the one guilty man in Shawshank. <laughs> yep. Um. Jamie Foxx is in it. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because yes, we have Ray, Jamie Foxx, but then we also have Amazing Spider-Man 2, Jamie Foxx. Um, It's definitely more of the Ray, Jamie Foxx. If you say Uh, so. he does his job, (laughs) basically. Um, But it's a a very interesting film, very brutal at times, um, and it really, really, really has tries to have a decent conversation about our justice system. Interesting. Um, would you classify that as an action movie? Uh, yeah, I, I think just a lot like uh, like nineteenth uh, or uh, whatever. Jeez, like like our our John Cusack movie that we talked about, nineteen fourteen. Fourteen oh eight. Yep. Anyway, I'm on a roll today, guys. Um, I'm not sure I dropped on your head. Yep. Um, I would consider both Law-Abiding Citizen and 1408 more of a like a thriller. thriller. 
Yeah, than anything else. And it, it, I think it would be, be closer to that. Well, I got one movie that I would classify more as a thriller and one that I would consider more of an action movie. Which one should I talk about first? Oh, let's, 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 let's uh, keep with the thriller theme here, bud. Have you ever heard of a movie that came out, I think, two years ago called Bad Times at the El Royale? I have heard of it, and I remember seeing a trailer and remember thinking it would be interesting, but then heard nothing else. It is really good, and I was actually mad at myself that I didn't see it sooner. It This movie flopped at the box office, which is unfortunate. Um, and again, that might be marketing, because even I didn't really know what to expect with this movie, but it is a loaded cast. It's Dakota Johnson from Peanut Butter Falcon in Fifty Shades, um, Chris Hemsworth, Jeff Bridges, uh, John Hamm, and it's all these... Oh, also, it's directed by the same guy that did Cabin in the Woods. Ooh. But it's not a horror spoof like Cabin in the Woods. It's more of a mystery thriller. So it's all these people come up to the El Royale Hotel. And half of the hotel is in the California side, uh, California state side, and the other part is in the Nevada state side. So the hotel is like split down the middle. And all these interesting and unique characters show up at this hotel. And there's a larger mystery that's unfolding. And all of them have a piece of that mystery that you have to figure out who you're going to trust, um, who is telling the truth, what everything means, the suspicious hotel itself of the El Royale. Um, like you have one character that just ran away from a cult, one person that's pretending to be one thing, but in reality is actually revealed to be something else. You have people that you think are bad guys that might actually be good guys and vice versa. It's a very twisty, but never goes full Shyamalan twisty movie. It's a absolutely stacked cast. All of them bringing absolutely their a game. Um, excellent, excellent movie. Also in the voodoo. Yes, I've seen. And that's why like I've seen it there. I just I I I don't I didn't know anything about it, so I didn't want the less you in. know, the better. But yeah. it's got a lot of great intrigue to it. And it it's not one that is like uh, okay. the air gets let out when the twists start unraveling. If anything, it actually helps the movie. Okay. So nice. yeah, I would say absolutely check it out. Okay. Now for that action movie I was talking about. This one I didn't think got necessarily as well received, but I know it flopped just as hard, if not harder than uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, which kind of sucks because I think the premise is really interesting of the head. This is where bad guys go when they need a break or they've been injured and they can't go to a regular hospital. They go to the Hotel Artemis. Oh, dude, I've heard of this film. Yeah, not a lot of people saw this, which sucks because it's got Jodie Foster, Dave Bautista, Jeff Goldblum, uh, I think Sam Neill. I'm trying to remember. Um, but yeah, it's exactly how it sounds of say you're a hitman or somebody else and you need a safe place to hide for however long you need or you've been injured and you need to get medical help, but you can't just go to a hospital with a gunshot wound. Um, this is where you go. It is more or less... Kind of like the hotel in John Wick, kind of. Okay. Of this is a. There are multiple hotels, but this one, any of these hotels are more or less like when you're playing Capture the Flag. This is base. No matter 
who your contract is, no matter who's targeting you, they cannot get you in this place. So long as you pay your rent when it's due and you don't break the rules. And it's a really interesting concept. And of course, things go sideways. Kind of, it follows kind of the same story beats as the first purge. And by that, I don't mean the fourth one, but like the original Ethan Hawke purge. Yeah. Well, you did one thing and that's going to lead to some trouble for you. Yeah. Okay. And it's really good action. Batista is great. Kind of in a Drax-ish character, but not quite. Uh, Jodie Foster's great. Jeff Goldblum is Jeff Goldblum. And can't go wrong there. Always great. Rock on, dude. All right. How many more you got? I have two more. Same. Rock on, dude. Um, one is a film that I know you and I agree is not as bad as people make it out to be. In fact, I kind of enjoy it. And the other is one of a bunch of movies this person did at the time and kind of, it kind of went under the radar because of it. Okay. (laughs) So I'll go ahead and do my my two, and then you, we'll, we'll I'll let you finish it out. Um, so I know you and I have had this conversation about Terminator Salvation before. It's not that bad, people. It's not. It's really, really entertaining. People are like it's PG thirteen. Um, Christian Bale is a really convincing John Carter, and Anton Yelchin is actually really good. May he rest in peace. I don't mind Salvation. It's it's and, and here's the thing too is everyone always says T two is the best, one which it series. is. It is, but I honestly would put this one like right behind it because I don't like the first one. Really, it's, it, it's okay, but I would. I personally, and you know what, this, if people sit here and say that this, that all my credibility goes out of the window because of my opinion of the Terminator films, they can, you know, whatever. Uh, but I would definitely put, I don't think salvation. that's your most controversial opinion that you've ever shared. I agree. Um, but I would definitely put salvation above the first Terminator. Definitely a controversial opinion, but I don't know if it's your most controversial. I still think it's the third. I definitely, people crap on T3. But I think Salvation is definitely better than Rise of the Machines. Oh, easily. It gives me more of that gritty war feeling to it. Yeah, and I I think the it brings to light the like how truly scary the the machines really can be. Yeah, I don't mind Terminator Salvation at all. And everyone always forgets that Bryce Dallas Howard's in it. Yep. I mean, for reasons, uh, but it's really not that bad. It, it's it's criminally underrated. I mean, at this point, really putting uh, Christian Bale in your film is it's not a surefire win, but you you're gonna get at least a fifty to sixty percent from me. Hmm. And what's your other one? Um. Okay. So, all about the same time. Three movies came out from Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal. Southpaw, Prisoners, and Nightcrawler. And I feel, I know nobody saw Southpaw, but that's okay. Uh, it's pretty good. But I think far less people saw Nightcrawler. 
was about to say, we've talked about Prisoners enough, and Prisoners is wonderful. And I'm proud to say I'm one of the few people that saw it in theaters. I did not see Nightcrawl in theaters, but I have <laughs> subsequently gone back and watched it, and you were right. Uh, guys, Jake Gyllenhaal is a masterclass actor after watching Nightcrawler. It, and I think that was, to me, um, those three films kind of started his... Uh, I'm not going to say resurgence, but de- definitely his getting his foot into the door. I would dare say kicking the door down into the mainstream A-list acting level. Because between those three films, he does three very different characters. And Nightcrawler is easily, in my opinion, one of the ones he, that took that was the hardest to act. Because I remember kid- laughing and getting an argument with somebody in college because they went on a date to see Nightcrawler, and they're just like, I didn't like it because Dylan Hall wasn't attractive at all in it. He was gross. And I'm just like, that's not the, the point of his character? Does that mean he's doing a great job as an actor? Yes. It's like a it's like a good wrestling villain. Like if you hate them, you're doing their job. Because um, like I will agree with her in the sense that this is the least Jillen Hall performance ever. Because that's why he was so perfect with Mysterio, because he's always got this usual charm and confidence mm-hmm. in a lot of his characters. But Nightcrawler, he, he's skeezy and manipulative. He is, but the other thing too is he still has that charm, but he twists it in a way that you're like, oh no, you're a dirt bag. Oh. Yeah, it really makes me want to see Enemy, which I have not seen. But yeah. Uh, Denny Villeneuve, who well. oh, I love. Yes, but no, yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal is incredible in the film. And the film itself is is very good. I'm not going to say entertaining. because It's not a movie that's meant to be entertaining, though. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's like Prisoners in that if you enjoy this movie, like, as a rewatchable movie, there's probably something wrong with you. Yes, I, I would almost dare to say it tries to have a conversation about our media. Oh, it does. About at least about the Armenian time. Yes, and the need for get it out first doesn't have to be accurate. Yes, exactly. And the sensationalism of news. Yeah. So I've got two more, and of course they're both horror movies. But one of them you've seen, and one of them I keep telling you you need to see. Um, The one that I know you've seen because we've seen it together, Ed scared the crap out of our RA in the process was we said that Nightcrawler was so out of the norm for Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, every once in a while, Robin Williams would get himself out of the norm. And that was a massive case with one-hour photo. Oh, my goodness. I I can't even find this film, let alone watch it again. Dude, I found it at like a uh, FYE or a secondhand store. Wow. And I immediately bought it up because, I like you said, I can't find it anywhere. Because more people need to see this movie. Because it is not the Robin Williams you know and love from your childhood, let me assure you. It's, it's, oh my goodness. I, it's really, really hard to describe one hour photo. So I was about to say, I don't think it could work nowadays. But actually, I think it could work nowadays even better. So the premise is, Robin Williams plays a character named Cy, who is a photograph person at like a more or less discount version of Walgreens. So he develops photos for people. Um, There's a family that he's been developing their photos for a whole, more or less their kid's whole life. So he starts to feel 
attached to this family. So when things start going wrong with that family, it causes a mental break for his character. And I was thinking, ah, uh, that kind of seems like it would, is it marks its era because of like the whole developed film and everything. But now that I think about it, imagine it in a modern context of he's a stalker on Instagram or Facebook that believes that he's a member of someone's family. And towards the end of the movie, he's got this wall of photos that he's printed off of this family, like full on stalker. And if someone had a wall of your Facebook and Instagram posts, Tell me that wouldn't creep the crap out of you. Oh, totally. Be like a physical wall too. Like he's had to go and print them out somewhere. He's had to like, you know, oh, dude, that would be uncomfortable. The and thing it's the that only thing in his house. He has a TV, a chair, mm-hmm, a light, mm-hmm. and the wall full of photos. But the yeah, thing is cool. with Rob Williams, we know him for these big, bombastic, loud, big characters like Genie. Um like Mrs. Doubtfire, like these really big bombastic characters, he never once has a freak out. It's all calm, whispered, collected. Like there's a scene when he's stalking the house with his digital camera that he's just like, snapshot was originally a hunting term. And like the creepy, monotone, cold, calculating voice and persona that he has, like... This man missed his calling as a villain, which is something Christopher Nolan, I'm sure, took notice when he cast him in Insomnia. Um, he is so ridiculously good. And I know a lot of people talk about, like, Goodwill Hunting or um, Awakenings for great Robin Williams performances. He's playing completely against type in one-hour photo and absolutely crushing it. He is so good. And also, uh, I don't normally jump with jump scares. There's one in a dream sequence Oh my gosh, even if you know it's coming, it's bad. It, w- it was like midnight or something like that, and it scared everybody in the room. And like our RA like came in and was like, guys, you can't be yelling at this time of night. We're like, I'm we're sorry. It we was, didn't know I, we would uh, be yelling. Yeah. Like the only other jump scare that I could think that has ever rivaled it for me is that one in episode seven of Haunting of Hill House in the car. Yes. That's the only other jump scare that's ever gotten close. But the it's not the thing is it comes out nowhere because it's not a jump scary movie. It's not a straight up horror movie. It's a psychological thriller, but oh boy. If we remade it now, I think it'd be even creepier. It's it's really good. Yeah. So for my last one. Everyone knows that's listened to the podcast for any length of time knows that I'm a big Halloween fan, both the holiday and the film franchise. Uh, however, there's one movie in the Halloween franchise that I think is consistently one of the most underrated films, uh, not just in the Halloween genre or the film franchise, but just in general. A lot of people crapped on it on the time, but it's developed kind of a decent cult following, but I still think it's massively underrated and people didn't like it. Because it's the one Halloween movie that didn't have Michael Myers. And I'm talking, of course, about Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. And Josh Oh. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So why Um, do I think this one's underrated, even though it doesn't have Michael Myers? Well, to me, this movie actually doesn't need it. It feels more like an old school Twilight Zone episode or like a creep show or Tales from the Crypt than a Halloween movie. But the thing is... It actually fits the 
holiday of Halloween better than any of the other movies in the entire Halloween franchise. Like the whole plot revolves around this mask company called Silver Shamrock, which I will not be singing the main theme to you because it will get stuck in your head until the actual Halloween. Um, They make these masks, but the masks more or less, if it, if you wear the mask at the same time that a specific commercial by the same company plays, then bad things start to happen. Um, it's spoiler alert here. The masks are being, this is going to sound super ridiculous, but just go with me here. The masks are being made by an evil warlock named Conald Cochran, who has stolen Stonehenge and is using the magic of Stonehenge to more or less send kids' faces to another dimension. All right. So that sounds ridiculous, but what follows is one of the most creepy and unsettling movies in the entire franchise that really embodies the Halloween spirit and also has probably the most creepy and unsettling death in the entire Halloween franchise, Michael Myers included. Like, yes, we've got the classic Michael pinning somebody up against the wall and tilting his head type thing. Um, There's been a lot of great Michael Myers kills. There's one in this that nothing else you remember this one particular scene. So, uh, Connell Cochran is giving a demonstration about what the mask can do when the commercial plays. And so a kid is sitting more or less like two feet in front of a TV with this big old pumpkin mask on. And they start playing the Silver Shamrock commercial. And he starts grabbing his face. And the mask has slowly started to turn into an actual pumpkin that is deteriorating and melting away like a pumpkin that's been left out in the sun for too long, except it's not a pumpkin. It's the kid's face that's deteriorating and wilting. Yeah. This is like intense stuff for even an R rated movie of, okay, you may have crossed the line here, but wait, it gets, but wait, it gets worse. So the kid's like grasping at his face, realizing that his face is more or less melting away like a dissolving mass. So he hits the floor, but then When he starts laying on the floor, live snakes and bugs start crawling out of his mouth and eyes. What? While the kid is still alive and twitching. What? And it is practical effects. I'll send you the scene after this and you're going to go, what the heck did they allow in this movie? Of like, as a snake person, I'm just going, nope, 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 nope. But even just as a person, I'm going, who thought of this? And of course, the snakes that come out of the kid's mouth kill the parents. And yeah, that's what the man that's making this mask wants to do to every kid in the world. Jeez, dude. And the movie, I won't tell you how the movie ends, but it ends on the biggest cliffhanger you could possibly have. Well, and now Josh right. is going, I kind of really want to see this now. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to see it. It is a Halloween movie that has its diehard following amongst Halloween fans that have given it a second chance. But it's one of those like, holy crap. If you don't, if it was just called Season of the Witch and had no connection to the other Halloween movies, it would do a lot better because it feels like an old school Twilight Zone Elseworld, this is a really creepy, unsettling mystery more than anything else. And it is really good. Not nearly people talk about Season of the Witch. And it's a great 
Halloween, the holiday movie, not so much a franchise movie. Like I said, if it was completely detached from the Michael Myers lineage, then it would be great. Although, Jamie Lee Curtis does cameo in in a voiceover role really, really quickly. So, technically, she's in the first three Halloween movies. Yeah, there's that. (laughs) So, yeah. Once we're done recording, I will send you that scene, and you'll be like, okay, I kind of have to see the rest of this movie. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, do you guys have any underrated movies that you guys really love? Let us know. We always like hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.